This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel, which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz, and it is a pleasure to be back with you all this week. So it's been a very exciting week here at Enrollify. In case you missed it, on Monday, we announced that we have officially graduated from one show, the Enrollify podcast, into a full-fledged podcast network. So the Enrollify podcast network is your go-to hub for shows that will empower you to grow, optimize, adapt, and reach new heights as an enrollment marketer. And as a part of the launch of this network, we're proud and excited to introduce you to two new shows, Starter Stories and CRM Prof. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to share a little bit of Starter Story content on this feed so that you can decide whether or not it's a show that you also want to subscribe to. And we're going to do the same thing for CRM Prof next week. So I'm going to introduce you in just a second to what uh, Starter Stories is and how it's different from the core Enrollify podcast segment, and then introduce you to some of the initial people we had the opportunity to sit down with and uh, hear, hear their stories. So if you want to quickly access these new shows, just scroll down on whatever podcast app you're on, whether that be Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Click into the show notes, and then you'll be able to click directly into Starter Stories or CRM Prov to explore our initial, uh, the initial interviews that we have featured on on those feeds. You can hit that subscribe button as well, so you don't ever miss one of our our shows, one of our episodes. And let us know what you think. Uh, as always, we love, love, love your feedback. You guys do such a great job at pinging me and letting me know what you think about the shows and how we can improve them, what you love, what you dislike. We'd like you to continue to do so as we launch these new shows. So again, we are not done. We are going to be adding new shows. Um, 
And but for now, uh, uh, we are super happy to introduce you to Starter Stories. Now, what is Starter Stories? Starter Stories is a podcast that explores the stories behind the world's leading education technology companies and education consultancies and the people who created them. In each episode, you're going to hear about the grit, the strategies, the wins, the failures, and the serendipity that transpired to take a half-baked idea and bring it to life. So I am also going to host this show, which is very, very exciting. And today, you are going to meet Seth O'Dell from Canahoma, Diego Fanara from Unibuddy, and Michael Stoner from M. Stoner. And what we're going to do, we have hour, hour and a half long interviews with each of these guys on Starter Stories. So again, you can just click through to Starter Stories to hear the full interviews. But we're, what we're going to do today is we're going to play about 10 to 15 minutes of each of these interviews so that you can see, oh, okay, this is how Starter Stories is different from the Enrollify podcast. This is how they have edited it. This is what I can expect from this show. And our hope is that you will decide whether or not this show is something that you want to subscribe to as well. So again, 10 to 15 minutes of each segment. Uh, if you want those full interviews, just again, scroll to the bottom, click on to Starter Stories, and you will be able to easily find um, these these full conversations. So without further ado, welcome to the Enrollify podcast, and welcome to a teaser of Starter Stories. Seth, it's great to have you. Good morning. We're, we're recording this uh, early in the morning. Seth, you're on the West Coast. I'm actually right now in mountain time um, here in Phoenix, okay. Arizona. But uh, it's still morning morning for both of us. So 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 happy morning. <laughs> happy morning to you. It, uh, good morning. Zach. Happy to be here and appreciate the chance to chat. Yes. So we are very excited for, and I, sh- I do say we because uh, there's an awesome team behind me at Enrollify who's eagerly uh, awaiting uh, the the chance to listen to this conversation. Folks who have followed you on social media, Seth, for a while, people that know a little bit of your story, um, but are curious to know a lot more about what you're doing now. Um, I know that you just had a baby, and congratulations on that, first and foremost. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I wanted to start off, actually, with a uh, a question that at least I think is fun, uh, and hopefully our listeners will as, uh, will as well. But I want to pretend for a moment that you're on Shark Tank or some similar show, and you've got a couple of minutes to pitch to our audience that uh, you've got something of value, something to share that's really worth them gracing uh, uh, their attention, um, gracing you with their attention, rather. So how do you explain what you do and and why it matters? The higher education industry is more complex and competitive than ever. Uh, Population dynamics are producing less total high school graduates. Uh, College universities are launching more and more online programs. And what it's created is that the education environment today is more competitive than it's ever been in the entire history of education. And Mm -hmm. so at Canahoma, we're an education marketing agency, and we really live at the crossroads of beautiful brand, creative, and effective direct response marketing. And we 
produce great work that actually works. Uh, and the goal that we have is to partner with uh, like-minded organizations, whether that's colleges, universities, K-12, or education technology and service providers. And uh, we partner with them to help them, you know, launch, win, and grow their businesses. Uh, and in a market that's as competitive as ours, you know, the only way to survive and thrive is to either be different or be better. Uh, mm. And we strive to be, uh, you know, the best of both of those things. Uh, you know, education is a mature market market. And in a mature market, the only way to grow is to take market share from someone else. Hmm. Uh, and so if you're out there and you're listening, you're at an institution and you're aspiring to grow your enrollments year over year, that's coming from another institution. Another institution will shrink because you will grow. Um, that is just the reality of a mature um, consolidating market, which really is what we're experiencing in education. So Canahoma is, you know, beautiful brand creative, but effective direct response marketing. Um, we are, you know, the best of best practice uh, and uh, strive to just help uh, our partners um, be successful. So we work with everybody from, you know, R1 research institutions to small private tuition dependents uh, around, generally speaking, anything they need in marketing, whether it's consulting, creative campaign management. Um, but we're really focused on, uh, you know, finding great partners that have big, audacious goals and just being a part of the team that helps them get there. Do you mind, actually, I know that you guys are well, I, I, I should say that I think uh, based off of following you on social media that yeah. uh, Kanahoma is like very new. So can yes. you just give us a quick sense of like, like how is it is it just you at sort of the, the helm right now? Do you have any any uh, partners or colleagues or like what is like the what does Kanahoma like look like from the inside right now? Yeah, great question. So Kanahoma is less than 100 days old. Wow. Uh, we launched in November 2020. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so so we are a, a very small boutique education agency. Uh, I have six people working with me at the moment. Um, you know, I aspire for more. Um, and uh, just for the sake of this podcast, I'll be transparent. You know, most of those folks are 1099. I'm working on transitioning them into full-time employees as I'm able to establish uh, more uh, stable long-term revenue. Um, uh, you know, my goal is to build the business off of cash flow. So I'm the sole principal, uh, took no investment. Um, you know, I put $5,000 into the business. Uh, and so I'm growing it month over month, basically off of what I get paid from the institutions we work with. And so um, launched in November with one flagship uh, partnership uh, with a large R1 research institution uh, and now have seven clients. Uh, and uh, looks like hopefully a few more. We got about another 15 in the pipeline. So, nice. uh, you know, we're definitely very new, very small, hoping to finish the year at about 12 to 15 partnerships uh, and five to 10 employees. Fantastic. Hey, love those goals. Those are some solid, smart goals and appreciate your transparency. The, you know, the goal with this sort of segment too is to really help uh, help our listeners, Seth, get a better insight of how do you do bold things? How do you go about sort of like building enterprises from the ground up? What does it look like to either go off on your own as a solopreneur? What does it look like to, you know, even just have an idea and help sort of see it to life, even if it's in a, a little bit more of a traditional context. So um, appreciate sure. your appreciate your candidness there and I actually want to go back um and sort of rewind a little bit to Seth or like early years um and I'm curious okay. this is a um uh you know a question that you could take in whatever direction that you want but I'm 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 curious to understand how success was like portrayed in your home growing up did your parents sort of like push you to succeed was there an expectation in school that you would perform well and get good grades or how did your parents talk about things like opportunity and the importance of like career trajectory and growing you know climbing that corporate ladder um if at all 
Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, my parents uh, from were incredibly supportive, are still incredibly supportive. I'm lucky they're still around. Um, and never felt a lot of career pressure um, from them uh, or school pressure. I wasn't that good at school. I was a late bloomer. I was actually pretty <laughs> rough. I was, you know, I graduated one of, at the bottom of my class, like bottom 10% of my high school class, um, barely made it out of high school, barely made it into college. And so, you know, my parents always just supported me to try to do my best. Um, but I learned a lot of lessons from observing them. Um, you know, my, my father was a state worker and, uh, and just grinded for 30 years, um, you know, going in every day, being a part of the establishment and trying to make a difference and, uh, and really demonstrated, you know, commitment and consistency. Uh, and then my mother um, was a junior college professor and ended up starting her own uh, financial practice and tax practice. Uh, and I watched her build that business from, you know, basically like a piece of plywood over two filing cabinets in a corner of our house um, up into, I mean, a significant like multi-million dollar business wow. and um, and worked incredibly hard to do it. Um, you know, so I definitely get that like late night grind from my mother who used to work around the clock in tax season. Um, and then the only other thing I'll say too is I also learned a lot from my grandparents. Um, hmm. You know, my grandfather was a college president, Nazareth College in uh, Western New York in Rochester. Um, you know, my other grandfather was a, was the chair of an English department at SUNY Albany. Uh, one of my grandmothers uh, was a, you know, a fifth grade English teacher and the other grandmother um, built one of the first adult academic advising divisions in the country in the late 1980s, um, building out a service division specifically to get adult students back to school. So I, I candidly, I don't think I really picked up on a lot of that when I was younger, but now later in my career, I realized that like, I think I absorbed more of that and those lessons than I realized at the time that I was experiencing them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's, in, that's quite the story and, uh, quite, I can see sort of like I can picture you as as a kid sort of observing uh, all of this and, you know, maybe not even making sense of it at the moment or understanding sort of how to analyze or process what you were observing. But it's it sounds like yeah. the, the idea of of hard work and of determination and whatnot were were sort of like at least at the at the um, very least sort of like baked into your surroundings um, and your environment growing up. Uh, yeah. you know, through your parents and, and through your grandparents. Uh, I'm curious, at, because you because you said you were a late bloomer, at what point did you, and um, I guess one way of asking this question is, at what point did you sort of like transi transition from like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, do school, I'm, I'm going to sort of like walk through school or I'm going to sort of like walk through life to, no, I'm going to like grab life by the horns and I'm determined to do something with it. Like, do you, was there a particular moment where that, where that transition happened or was that pretty much always consistent? You just didn't love school. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, totally get your question. And it's a great one. So I always had that fire. It just never was for school, which is also hilarious considering I work in education today. <laughs> exactly. Um, the irony is incredible. Yeah. So like when I was like, you know, 12, I launched a newsletter in my school. Um, when I was 14, I started booking concerts. I forged my mother's signature and booked out our local town hall and I booked punk concerts at oh 14. Gosh. That is amazing. Uh, raising thousands of dollars, but then donating it all to charity because I didn't even at the time want the money. So I just gave it all away. Um, and and then, you know, I, I got a job as a minor league bet boy. So I was always working, always grinding. 
Um, school was uh, just not something where I felt like um, I connected well and fit well. And I, I just didn't thrive as well in that environment. Um, and so I, you know, I did it um, and I, I got through it and I'm, I'm very grateful I did. And I got better at it as I got older. Um, but yeah, I always had this like um, hustle mentality. Um, it just didn't always translate to the classroom for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, so much there. We could we could uh, change the theme of this podcast entirely and just talk <laughs> about your booking concert days. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But that's actually a nice segue into my question, my next question, which is really around your first job. So, uh, you know, yeah. n- not sort of your first time walking a dog for an uncle or, you know, uh, taking out the trash for a neighbor or doing, you know, plowing snow. I guess you're in California, so that's not really a problem there. But um, talk to us a little yeah. bit about, like, what your first, like, real gig was. Um and, you know, what lessons, if any, did this first job teach you that you've sort of held on to to this day? Uh, okay, great question. So my first job was a, I was a minor league baseball bat boy uh, for a team called the Albany Colony Diamond Dogs uh, in upstate New York in Albany, where I where I originally grew up. Wow. And uh, I did that for like two and a half seasons. I got paid 25 bucks a night out of the concession stand. They basically just paid me out of the drawer uh, in cash. <laughs> And uh, uh, it was an awesome, unbelievable job. Uh, I got to, you know, meet a former major leaguers like Rafael Belliard and Brent Bowers. And um, I got to hang out with all these ball players and be in the dugout with them. The lesson that I learned there at like when I started this, I think I was 14, was to say yes. Um, like quite literally, here's what happened is um, what, there was there was a, two bat boys. Um, one of them like went off to college or something. And then so there's only one left. And that one called out sick. And so they didn't have anybody. And so the general manager um, knew my mother because like we, w- we went to a decent amount of games and the general manager was friendly and would walk around the stands. Okay. And so, so he just walked up to me. I was there to watch the game and walked up to me and was like, do you want to be the bat boy? Um, and, and the most important thing is I said no because I was so uncomfortable. Um, and it was like, what? I was, I was very nervous. I didn't understand. Like I didn't know what's going to happen. And I said, no, thank you. And he started to walk away. And I got up and ran after him and said, yes. And like, I'm so, I feel like so much of my life mindset has shifted because I got up and went after him because in the moment, it's hard to say yes to things that uh, are, make us uncomfortable, that don't have a lot of information. Um, but like saying yes, almost always opens up more doors than they close. And, um, and so getting up and saying yes to that opportunity, I was in a uniform on the field in 10 minutes. Uh, and then I stayed in that job for three years. Uh, and wow. uh and had a blast every summer, you know, being a part of a baseball team. That's a that's a fantastic story, and um, you know, I, I love the idea of that sort of being this uh, crucial moment. It's, it's a beautiful story, sort of in hindsight. I'm sure in the moment it was just like, oh crap, like uh, I guess I should go <laughs> do this, and there probably wasn't yeah. a lot of reflection at the moment. But uh, you know, hindsight, going back to to that sort of um, to that encounter um, and really using that sort of as a, a point of reference to just continue to reflect on um, as you've progressed through your career and thought about opportunities. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I think that for, for many of us, um, you know, that next step is is always scary, uh, whether that's a promotion, whether that's uh, leaving an organization for another institution, whether that's going off on on your own. Um, saying yes to things, uh, at least good things, tends to come with um, a little trepidation. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a that's a great story. So, tra- like, walk me through, you know, from the your days as as a bat boy 
Uh, how do you then sort of get into your first sort of professional uh, gig? What does that look like? And talk to us a little bit about just like the timeline of all of that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. So so uh, I'll walk it through because there's some lessons in the middle of it. So I'll try to be brief. But, you know, I did the Bat Boy thing for three years. Uh, the fourth year, they actually uh, promoted me to be a clubhouse manager. Uh, and basically, you know, I was responsible for managing the clubhouse. I mean, not not glamorous, doing laundry, keeping it clean, getting guys fed, running errands. Like it was all sorts of stuff uh, for a minor league team. Uh, I got fired from that job um, <laughs> for burning a pair of pants in a dryer and the dryer like malfunctioned and the, and the manager fired me for it. Um, and so then I went to work in a warehouse um, like just like packing boxes. Uh, and then I got fired from that for being too slow. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and then I went to college and didn't work for a little bit. And when I came back, like I got a job at Dunkin' Donuts, like, like, you know, minimum wage. Uh, and I ended up, uh, working my way up to assistant manager. And I worked the night shift throughout two years of college, 10 PM to 6 AM. And I go to 8 AM class. Wow. Uh, Wow. And uh, that was a total grind. Um, that job taught me a lot about uh, work ethic and hard work. The manager um, was this brilliant, wonderful Vietnamese woman, Thin, who just you know would bring me fun and feed me and teach me and talk to me, and it was great. Um, but it was a grind. It was fa- you know it was, you know quick service. I must say fast food, but they they taught me well. It's quick service at Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, <laughs> you know I did that. At, when I graduated uh, college. Um, you know, the only thing I knew I didn't want to do is work in TV news. I got a, a public communications degree and you could kind of go into, you know, journalism or PR or marketing. And I was like, I just know I don't want to do TV news. Right? Why, why was so, that? Why was that? I, it was just the class I enjoyed the least in college. Okay. I just couldn't figure out the cameras and the logistics of the equipment. You know, I think it just felt was overwhelming to me to try to like learn it all. Um, and, uh, and so it's important to note that because the first job I got after college was working at a TV news station, of course, um, of because course. it's the only thing I could get. And I got a job for nine bucks an hour as a desk assistant ripping scripts. And so I worked uh, three 30 in the morning till nine 30 in the morning, uh, ripping scripts, like, uh, you know, running teleprompter, basically like, you know, the, the menial tasks of a newsroom. Uh, and then I would go home and then I would come back and I would work 3 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. And I would do the evening news shift. And then I went and worked at a coffee shop from 7 p.m. to midnight. And so I ended up only sleeping in like two and a half hour windows uh, in the middle of the day and in the middle of the night because um, I, I couldn't do any more than that. And I did that for seven weeks. And thankfully, like Dunkin' Donuts taught me how to hustle. So I worked my tail off. And in seven weeks, I got promoted to become assignment editor, um, which is just a massive promotion. And I mean, candidly, I think they gave it to me because the job paid $25,000. And I was the only one that was going to take that as a salary. Um, <laughs> but I did. And, you know, I suddenly I was the evening assignment editor, um, you know, working 3 p.m. to midnight, uh, deciding what stories we were covering, managing the reporters, you know, sending out satellite trucks and microwave trucks for live feeds. Um, you know, working with our New York Bureau or CNN's Pathfire to pass footage nationally. I was down at the Capitol for budget talks. Like, um, it, I was, you know, 21 years old at that time and just like, uh, you know, all over the place. So that that's how I got into to TV news and then uh, ended up leaving that job and moving to L.A., um, just to try something new and, and stumbled into media relations at UCLA in 2007. And I've been basically, you know, calling higher at home ever since then. Wow. Wow. That is, uh, that is a remarkable story. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product, Funnelback, and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And Funnelback enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that excerpt of my conversation with Seth Odell from Kanahoma. To listen to Seth's full story, scroll down to the show notes, click on over to Starter Stories, and you can access the entire interview there. But for now, it's time to introduce you to our next starter. Get ready to meet Diego Fanara. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Uh, it is a beautiful, cold morning here. I'm actually in San Diego today recording, um, and I have the great privilege of speaking with Diego Finara, who is the co-founder and CEO of Unibuddy. Welcome to the show, Diego. Hi, Zach. Thank you for having me. And Diego, where are you? Where are you this morning? Or you know what? I have no idea what time it is where where you are. Uh, I'm in uh, Switzerland, in Geneva, and it's uh, getting to four p.m. Wow. Okay. So afternoon, uh, almost almost evening there. Exactly. It's uh, getting dark actually as well. Wow. Wow. What's the uh, What's the temperature like there? Is it Is it pretty cold right now? Uh, it's uh, not that bad. It's about, I'll say, around four degrees. Wow. Okay. Okay. Could be worse. Uh, Could be worse. Yeah, I'm sure it's better in San, in, in San Diego right now. <laughs> it, is. it is. It's still a little cool, but um, 
but yeah, no, I, I, I can't complain. I think being able to like walk outside for a quick break or take a phone call with shorts on is, is definitely a privilege. So, um, I'm going to enjoy it as long as I can, but, um, but we've got a lot to talk about today, Diego, and I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. And, you know, one of the things that, um, is super cool about this segment that, that we do here on Enrollify is it's really the segment where, uh, folks like you, people who are founders and leaders in the ed tech space get to brag a little bit about, uh, themselves and like their work and really talk about very candidly their story. Um, a lot of the times when it comes to interviews, especially in sort of this, this podcast format, the emphasis is really on thought leadership and um, you know, producing great educational, inspirational content. And we've got plenty of shows and content that, that does just that. But this, this segment is really about Diego and really getting a better understanding of your story and uh, how and why you built Unibuddy. So uh, I'm super excited to dive into to this conversation, but I actually wanted to start uh, for the sake of our, our listeners by throwing out a question at you that I've used a couple of times now and, and received some good response from. So we're going to try it out again. Um, and I want you to pretend for just a moment that we're on a Shark Tank or Y Combinator or some sort of uh, show and um, or, or conference and event where you've got a couple of minutes to pitch to the judges, which in this case is, is our listeners today, uh, why they should grace you with their attention uh, for the next hour or so. Can you just give us a few minute crash course on who Diego is and, you know, just go ahead and brag about yourself for a little bit. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Zach, for uh, allowing me to do that in a couple of minutes. Uh, so who I am, um, it's it's a great question. I think I'm still uh, finding myself. But um, actually, what brought me here today is, is really much a personal story. I actually grew up where I am today uh, in Geneva. And um, I had uh, a big ambition of where I wanted to, what I wanted to, to do and where I wanted to do it as a kid, uh, especially in the finance industry. Uh, I had big dream of working in Wall Street or in London, um, financial exchange, as crazy as it sounds. But uh, I had this dream, but I didn't know how to reach this potential, how to reach this dream. And so while I was going through my higher education journey, I saw all of those roadblocks of decisions that I had to make uh, at the young age and not really having the support around me. And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch later on, on this journey uh, to, to, to a higher education. Uh, but when I finished university, I started being passionate um, with this idea of powering decision-making for students, uh, helping them figure out uh, how to do it and, and where to do it uh, based on uh, unleashing their full potential and leveling up the playing field wherever they were coming from and whatever background they had. Um, and so uh, in 2015, after finishing university, uh, this idea of Unibody uh, was around uh, building online communities uh, to power those decisions uh, and also supporting higher education institutions with their marketing uh, and uh, 
at the end of the day, connecting people, we're talking about peer-to-peer here, student-to-student communication, and really getting universities' most powerful marketing assets uh, and most authentic voice uh, of their current students out there uh, to help students uh, make the right choice on this higher education journey. Very well said. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into a lot more about the, the story that sort of like led you to, to where you are today. But uh, you said you're, you're back in Geneva. Are you back uh, at home in, 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 the, in the home that you grew up in or, or where, where are you, whereabouts are you living in Geneva? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm, uh, it's not where my parents are, but uh, as they moved uh, out from Switzerland, but uh, it's, yes, in the home where I grew up and actually spent Christmas here. Um, and then as the, the situation in London got worse, I decided to spend a couple of more weeks here before uh, making my way back to London where, where my flat is. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was curious if you were based permanently out of out of Geneva, or if this was just a temporary situation. Because um, I know that uh, your your all's HQ is in in London. Um, I actually, I want to go back and start our conversation by you sharing a little bit about like your your childhood. Uh, how do you, I'm curious? How did your parents talk about education at home? Was it sort of this foregone conclusion that you'd go to university? Or how did your parents talk about the importance of education um, and career development, uh, if at all? It's a great question. Um, And I I believe this shaped a lot um, the idea that uh, future students have about uh, education, the way it's it's spoken at home as as early as possible. Um, My personal story is that both of my parents didn't go to university. Uh, They actually uh, were entrepreneurs and and started working uh, out of high schools uh, straight away. So there there hasn't been much of a discussion around education. I, I have three big brothers uh, so I'm the I'm the youngest one uh, and my oldest brother uh, is a doctor so he, he really uh, much went through the path of uh, education uh, but with that real drive of that passion for uh, medicine and then my two middle bro- uh, big brothers uh, one was a professional skier so he didn't go to university and the other one uh, stopped going to school at 16 and started working straight away. Um, So it was really an open door of uh, whatever you think is best for you. Uh, And hence why that decisions was maybe a bit more difficult because education wasn't the only journey that I had to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys, did you talk about, I'm curious as, as both of your parents being entrepreneurs was, was there sort of regular discussion around the importance of uh, developing ideas, pursuing ideas? I guess, how did your, do you remember an experience or uh, could you share a story with us about like how your parents um, encouraged you to pursue uh, your dreams or pursue a specific idea? Or was that, was that not really present? No, it was always present. Um, and I was very lucky after finishing university when I showed them this original idea of Unibody um, that there was no 
misconception of, oh, no, you got to find a job before you can pursue an idea. So I was really lucky um, to have this belief around me that um, other things were possible uh, if you have a real drive in you to pursue something different. Um, but I would say uh, as early as before university, uh, the, I, it's not that I had another idea uh, that I was going to pursue. Um, my dream was really much more around finance uh, and uh, doing something in this world. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's really exciting. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. All right. Let's talk about video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected at this point from Generation Z, but you've got little time, you've got next to no budget, and your Marcom department is already two months late on those new program brochures they promised you, so asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet this week's sponsor, GoodKind. GoodKind is a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention, and in a sea full of static HTML emails from other schools, a personalized video is how you stand out. It's how you make a difference. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey through email, texting, and even WhatsApp. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit www.wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to start your free trial. Show your face, show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that excerpt of my conversation with Diego Fanara from Unibuddy. To hear Diego's full story, just scroll down to the show notes and you can click on over to Starter Stories and access the full interview. But for now, it's time to introduce you to our third and final starter featured on our first three episodes of Starter Stories. And that starter is none other than Michael Stoner from M Stoner. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Zach. It's great to be here. Great. Well, Michael, I've been a fan for a while, and I not just of of M. Stoner's work, but of you, and have read various uh, articles that you've put out. And I've never actually been fortunate enough to see you speak at an event, but I've seen uh, several of your team members give presentations before, and I'm just always so impressed by M. Stoner. And so I have been geeking out and um, really excited about this interview to, to quite frankly, just learn more about you and learn more about sort of the origin story of, of M. Stoner. So 
Thanks for being here. It's shrouded in myth. <laughs> That's great. That's you great. Can, you can you can read Joseph Campbell and he cites the hero's mythic journey. That's what we're talking about here. Fantastic. Okay, noted. I we might need to add that to the show notes. So um, we 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 shall see. But Michael, uh, one of the things that I like to do with this particular segment is have our guests start by. Um, quite honestly, just like bragging about themselves a little bit to to give sort of our listeners a quick sort of crash course at the offset of this conversation around uh, who they are and um, you know why they might why our listeners might um, be willing and maybe even should um, grace you with uh, grace us rather with uh, an hour or so of their attention and so. Um, one of the ways I like to frame this is to pretend that you're on some sort of show like a, a Shark Tank or you're competing in a competition like a Y Combinator and you've got just a couple of minutes to uh, pitch to the judges that you know your ideas and uh, your story uh, is worth listening to. Um, I, I'm curious within that frame, how would you how would you go about describing who you are and what your role at at M Stoner has looked like? Well, I, uh, thank, thanks for uh, thanks for asking that question, Zach. And uh, let me say that one of the challenges of those formats in the two or three minute introduction is that a lot of nuance gets lost. Yeah. Um, given given the time limit, so I'd say a couple of things. One is that um, I've been at this for a long time and uh, have been uh, looking at the online and digital space and participating in the online and digital space since about 1990. Okay. So um, you know that's that's a pretty long time uh, given. Uh, how things have developed during that period of time. And I think that provides some perspective that is a bit unique and, um, and valuable. So, you know, perspective and wisdom are uh, not necessarily, are, are, are often in short supply. So I think that that is useful and very helpful. And one of the things that we've tried to do as a company is that we've tried to, bring those perspectives of, you know, longer term vision, uh, looking at the fundamental uh, challenges and fundamental issues to our work so that it's not just a question of doing something that's going to work today, but trying to really get to some of the challenges that have created the today's situation and uh, addressing some of those issues so that things can be better tomorrow too. Wow. Wow. Very, very well said. And thank you for sort of casting that high level vision. Um, and you know, that, that foundation for us, I think that that's a, a perfect way to, to start our conversation. And I'm curious actually, um, to, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to, your childhood, um, you know, what were you like uh, as as a kid growing up? And, um, you know, people today talk a lot about sort of not just, you know, being creative, but about being a creator. And, you know, we're seeing more and more students 
uh, you know, younger elementary students saying, when I grow up, I want to be a YouTube creator or an Instagram influencer. And so this notion of like being a creator is, is really popular and exciting uh, right now. Um, but I, you know, I'd imagine that that wasn't necessarily the case um, when you were growing up. So I'm just, I'm just curious, do you remember sort of like the first time you realized that you were, that you were creative? Um, you know, perhaps sort of the moment where you thought that, oh, wow, I, I see things and, um, you know, experience things maybe a little bit differently from others. I'm just curious if you could like paint us a picture of, uh, what your, what your rearing was like. Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, and so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've observed today with some of the young people and teenagers that I know uh, is they swim in a water in water that is very oriented toward uh, you know virtual uh, uh, a virtual presence yeah. you know, social media um, you know the, the idea of being a YouTube creator um, I grew up on a farm. Uh, my parents didn't go to college. They weren't very well educated. So uh, as a kid, I spent a lot of time outdoors. Okay. And I also uh, really liked watching TV. So I grew up on, uh, you know, B, B movies. And I really liked science fiction and, and um, things like that. That was part of my environment. And so when when I thought about being creative, I thought about writing. In high school, I was uh, one of my senior uh, class project in high school. I wrote a novel, uh, wow. which was just embarrassingly derivative. Believe me, <laughs> I don't I don't know if I could still find it. I think I would be embarrassed to read it. But um, but that was where I sort of focused my creativity. And, you know, in high school, I founded an underground newspaper in my high school that was shut down by the administration. So I was kind of a, a rebel and um, really identified with with the um, with with a different kind of, of political and social viewpoint. Huh. And I'd still say that there's a there's a strain of that in my life. And when I look back on my um, the perspective I developed on um, you know digital di- digital life and digital presence that really happened in the 1990s uh, when I started doing the work that I'm doing now, um, you know I've always been someone who was looking to consider what the opportunities were, but also trying to develop some kind of practical take on those opportunities and try to think how they could be used strategically to further the goals of, of organizations. And, you know, since I've been consulting, that's definitely been a focus of my work and and continues to be the focus of them Stoner's work. You know, how can you really use the tools at your command to develop an online presence that is engaging and sustainable? And engagement is great, but if you have engagement without sustainability, you're not going to be able to maintain it. And 
if you develop a great system to sustain your online presence, but you don't create an engaging online presence, all that work and effort and money that you're putting into it is going to be wasted. So the two go really hand in hand. All right, everybody. Well, there you have it. There is your overview of Starter Stories. I hope you were compelled by some of the insights that our guests offered. And I really do encourage you to go and listen to the full interviews with these industry giants, people who have been true trailblazers in their respective lanes. And the best way to do that is to simply scroll down to the show notes, click on over to Starter Stories, and you can listen to their full interviews and or just head on over to your favorite search bar and search for Starter Stories by Enrollify and you'll be able to find these full stories. So I'd love to know what you think about this new show. Please feel free, as always, to reach out to me directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H at Enrollify.org. And I would encourage you and ask you to uh, subscribe to Starter Stories via your favorite podcast, uh, uh, streaming app, and or to do so on our website at Enrollify.org. And we'll send you an email every time a new episode publishes. That's all for now, guys. Have an amazing week and thanks for being here. If you are an enrollment marketer, working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.